ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the Victorian Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria. G'day, Angus Hurley here, bringing you a short country hour in the lunch break of the cricket today. Coming up on the show, a labour hire company that owes seasonal workers $4 million says they will be paid in full after the ATO agreed to wipe more than $12 million in tax debt. You'll also hear about another challenging season for dried fruit producers, which is contributing to a shortage of products like sultanas around the world. And we'll check in with another farmer who received an enormous dump of rain yesterday. Get in touch on the text line 0467 842 722. First up, though, before those stories, we will go to the Weather Bureau. A little bit different today with the Bureau at the start of the short show. Lincoln Trainer is Senior Forecaster at the Bureau on the line. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Angus. How are you going? Well, I went down the street before and I had to put the jacket on in Horsham. It's a bit of a change to the weather today. Absolutely. We are seeing typical Victoria weather today. Um, we've got a bit of a, a west to southwesterly flow to bring cooler temperatures. You probably saw yesterday there was a big rain band across the state and we're now in the wake of that cold front um, and there's a low uh, associated with that front that still sits southwest of Tasmania and that's creating this kind of gusty uh, west to southwesterly flow um, across the state. Uh, it's particularly strong and gusty uh, near the coastal areas and that's what we're watching today. Uh, warning wise we're seeing um, some strong wind warnings across Port Phillip Bay, Western Port and Gippsland Lakes. There's a gale wind warning for all of the Victorian coastal waters and if you're near the coast or you're camping you'll be feeling quite a strong gust today. There's also in regards to the rainfall we've seen in, in recent weeks and, and particularly this week that we, uh, we've finalised the flood warnings for the Loddon and Goulburn Rivers. Uh, however, there's still a minor flood warning for the Murray River uh, that's out, uh, particularly at Barham and uh, Torrumburry. Uh, and that, uh, that's across the weekend. And potentially for Echuca, it's below minor at the moment, but it may rise a little uh, early next week as we start to get that delayed impact uh, from the rivers. So that's pretty much today. Um, Friday, with these cool conditions you're feeling at the moment, they'll persist. Uh, it's going to be cool to mild across the state, low to mid-20s in the south and mid to high-20s uh, in the north. Um, there will still be some gale force winds uh, in the eastern coastal areas, uh, a chance of a shower south and on the ranges, but it is settling down after that big rain ban on Wednesday. And then we get to a settled weekend. Uh, we will see a bit of a weakened dry trough across the state, but there won't be any rain in it, and that'll cross late Saturday, early Sunday. We could see some patches of morning fog uh, Saturday morning in the central district and on and near the ranges. A few isolated showers possible in the south on Sunday. And then the, the, we might see a bit of summer returning. Um, uh, a low-intensity heat wave is possible across northern parts of Victoria from Sunday. Uh, fire danger uh, will start to elevate a little bit in the Mallee, Wimmera and northern country um, to high uh, on Sunday and there is a pe potential for a low intensity heat wave that will impact the north 
of Victoria on um, from Sunday, although we do get a cool southerly Monday, which kind of changes that. But then the flow turns northerly Tuesday, Wednesday next week, and that's when we really get back into summer. With that northerly flow, it's going to be warm to hot across the state. We could see, I mean, Mildura is a great... Um, one for seeing the hottest temperature in the state. At the moment, it's looking like low 40s Tuesday. Could be getting up into the mid 40s on Wednesday in Mildura in the northwest. So getting quite hot. We'll be watching the elevated fire dangers uh, middle of next week and the potential of this low intense heat wave. And at the end of the forecast, Lincoln, a few showers possible? Uh, when's this? What day? Just looking at uh, uh, early next week. Uh, there is there is a little bit of a, a chance of a, a few isolated showers uh, on and south of the ranges Monday. Um, at the moment, it's mostly settled now, like that big rain band. We're not going to see any of that activity that we've just seen until potentially mid-next week when we get our next feature crossing, maybe Thursday. So really, if we see anything, it will be this odd shower um, and quite light, mainly in the south and on and near the ranges. And a uh, specific forecast request on the text line, someone at uh, Connor at Sea Lake there in the sort of central Mallee says... Uh, g'day, wondering if it's going to be nice weather in Sea Lake at the weekend. I'm hoping to take the family down for a fish and have a few tins. I'm imagining at the at the Green Lake, possibly just out of Sea Lake. So can you give us a, a personalised Sea Lake good, forecast? Yeah, I'm looking around that area, I kind of triangulate. It's looking at that area kind of in the north-northwest. It's going to be a mostly sunny weekend for him, having a few tinnies, and probably sitting around 33, 34. Oh. That's what he's looking for. Sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> better, <laughs> better leave it there. Thanks for that, Lincoln. No problems, Angus. Take care. Lincoln Trainer, their senior forecaster at the Weather Bureau, talking about what's happening around the state today and also that warm weather, mid-40s, coming up for uh, Mildura in a few days, Lincoln told us there. You can get in touch on the text line as well. Leo's done that. Leo, with the rainfall figure, very regular rain correspondent, says, G'day, Angus, another 14 mils now makes 70 mils for January at Gundowring. Unbelievable, says Leo. 0467 842 is the text line. A labour hire firm which brings Pacific farm workers to Australia is being investigated after it was revealed it owed $28 million to workers and creditors. Elsie Kennedy has the story. PGP Group, which trades as Plant Grow Pick, is an approved employer under the Pacific Australia Labor Mobility or PALM scheme, employing about 1,200 Pacific farm workers and abattoir workers. The company went into voluntary administration last October, owing $4 million to more than 2,400 employees. Under a deal struck to save PGP from collapse, workers will be paid out, but the ATO has agreed to forgive $12.4 million owed by the company. And 150 other creditors, such as accommodation and transport providers, will get 48 cents in the dollar. The Fair Work Ombudsman and the Victorian Labor Hire Authority are investigating. Australian Workers' Union National Secretary Paul Farrow says the AWU has been aware of issues with PGP Group dating back to 2015. 
I'd speak to our officials around the, the country in different regions and um, we've had some interactions with them where there's been uh, you know, concerns raised dating back to 2015 uh, around underpayment of wages and we've had some instances where we've recovered wages on behalf of, of workers so there's some early signs there of, of problems. Employers who work through the Pacific Australia Labor Mobility Scheme need to be approved by the federal government. Do you think the standards for being uh, sanctioned as an approved employer by the federal government are strict enough? Look, I think they are. I think what we're seeing now is the trouble of what happens if they don't adhere to that standard. And that's probably more of the question as to, you know, we've got a company that's been under a little bit of a cloud since 2015. Uh, they now put themselves into voluntary administration uh, with debts around $28 million from what I can see. That's a pretty dark cloud. question would be what happens from here as far as monitoring. And, and I am pleased, I must say, that uh, on one hand, that the governments, that the departments are working with the employer to ensure that there is ongoing work, that we're not just displacing, because we are at the end of the day talking about thousands of workers. And by the looks of it, you know, all of those workers will receive the monies owed to them. So that's a positive but what, what steps is the government then taking or the department taking to ensure there's not another another cloud waiting around the corner for, the, for this to happen again? So I think it's really about making sure that there's auditing and ongoing checks uh, to make sure that the status is being maintained. A spokesperson for the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations said in a statement, the department continues to closely monitor this situation. Uniting Church Senior Social Justice Advocate Mark Zernzak says he believes PGP Group has improved its workplace practices since 2015 and it would not have been in the interests of workers for PGP Group to have been allowed to collapse. Yeah, certainly our experience would be that PGP did change over time and certainly the feedback we picked up from the ground was that they had improved in the way they dealt with workers. And I would say that the good thing about PGP, I guess, this time around, our understanding was that... Um, they didn't simply allow themselves to fall over without letting letting people know. So that you know, there were we certainly knew from workers on the ground that they'd been alerted. There were some risks, and therefore action could be taken to prepare in case you know those workers found themselves without an employer. Whereas another employer who left the program, Links Employment, uh, left you know hundreds of workers were left in dire circumstances and in desperate need of all sorts of community support, which was highly undesirable. So the, the PGP case has at least been much better managed and part of that has been as a result of the owners of the business being more considerate of, of, of the risks to their workers if, if they simply cease to operate. When PGP Group went into voluntary administration in October, PwC was appointed as the administrator of the company. Their task was to comb through the company's finances and make a report to corporate regulator ASIC about how creditors could be repaid. PwC raised a number of concerns in their report to ASIC. I put some of those concerns to PGP Group Managing Director Adrian Knight. My first question to Adrian was when workers could expect to be repaid the money they were owed. Well, as I said, I'm not, I'm not really going to make comment about the PwC report. You need to take that from them. But there's a, a process known as a credit of trust and, and all of that guarantees they get repaid. And, and that's the process that we'll be working through. Okay. Um, as soon as possible is the answer, but that's the process. It, they said in their report, we have concerns about the accuracy of the values of payroll and the related party no, receivables. 
so. I think they say they may have. This is a direct quote from their, their statement. They said, we have concerns about the accuracy. They also say, we believe the value of employee entitlements. About their concerns. I, I can't really comment about their concerns. I can comment about our performance, and I have done. The, the other thing they said was that the the CFO, that's the Chief Financial Officer, advised that upon his commencement with the company, he observed numerous inaccuracies in the company's financial records, which had uh, particular impacts yeah, on balance sheet that items. The, that's a quote in the PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, report, and uh, uh, um, you'll have to ask them about that. No, we're, we're in, uh, very comfortable that our financial um, statements are accurate as of today. You know, we're really moving forward post administration to again make sure that we're providing many hundreds if not thousands of jobs to Pacific workers who need that employment and to help our customers and our farmers who have been in need of that kind of worker. We always make sure workers get what they're due. That's exactly why we're in business and have been for as long as we have and why so many workers continue to come back to PGP because they know it's centred around the workers and our customers. That was PGP Group Managing Director Adrian Knight ending that report from Elsie Kennedy. On the text line, Brian at Venus Bay says, how can any lessons be learned by rogue employers if they use taxes owed as a trade-off for paying wages? What an absolute joke our government departments have become. Robert Shilton says, only six mils, a bit disappointed. Neil's near Euroa, 18 mils from this event and 125 mils for the year. 0467-842-722. Let's talk fruit now because Dried Fruits Australia Chair Mark King says unfavourable weather conditions have slowed the supply of dried fruit worldwide. Mr King produces sultanas at Pomona near the Darling River in New South Wales. After not being able to harvest a crop in 2023 due to flooding, he told Eliza Balage he expected another challenging harvest this year with continuing heavy rain. The crop after last year with disease and everything wasn't terrific, especially in the old sultana types. And the rain that we've had, you know, which has been anywhere from 30 to 40 mil or better in the storms a week ago. And then we've had another 10, 10 or 12 mil, depending where you are, scattered throughout um, St Rosia last night, yesterday afternoon. And, of course, all that hasn't helped the um, sultanas. Uh, a lot of them split. A lot of them have started to... Yeah, drop, go rotten. So we needed some wind, but we haven't got any wind and today we're like, forecasting the odd shower, but it's very humid again today. I know the far west in Victoria have particularly copped a lot of rainfall, but have you been hearing uh, issues from uh, dried fruit growers in South Australia as well? No, we haven't got a lot over there, but I haven't actually spoke to any of them, but I'm pretty sure they'd be in the same boat. I mean, anybody that's got the newer varieties, the rain hasn't been too bad, like We've got one called Sun Musket, Sun Glow, and I've been looking at them on my farm here. They are fine. Selma Pete, it's fine. But the old Sultanas, yeah, I don't think we'll be picking them. We've got about 65 acres of them. I don't think we'll be picking them. There wasn't a good crop on them. Now, with the rain and the humidity, probably there's only going to be maybe a third of very little there anyway. And yeah, you, you're mentioning that there just won't be as much to pick because um, I've been hearing there'll be, yeah, possibly some shortages of Australian dried fruit on the shelves uh, this year. You know, is that something that you're expecting to see as well? Oh, for sure. I mean, the processes and the supermarkets 
struggled to um, find enough dried fruit last year. They had to import some, which is you know, really disappointing that we couldn't supply. I mean, not I don't. I'm quite happy that the um, processors do import it. At least it keeps the Australian name going and what have you, and keeps people eating dried fruit. Better than not having it there, but yeah, we won't be able to. I don't think we'll have enough this year. Australia consumes somewhere around about thirty to forty thousand tonne of dried fruit. Even on a good year, we only grow around. 17,000, so there's always some exports coming in, but the last two years, you know, it was 7,000 tonne, and I don't, or the last year was 7,000 tonne, this year, I don't think it'll be a lot more. How much more has had to be imported in recent years to meet that shortfall? Not in specific numbers, but I know, no, they'd be, they'd be importing three, four, five thousand tonne of dry fruit. What has this meant? I mean, I know the, the the quality and the varieties that people get from Australian grown fruit compared to imported fruit can be quite different. Yeah, I must admit the imported stuff around the world or the export stuff from around the world that comes into Australia now is on a lot higher quality. I was over in Turkey at the end of last year and they're processing plants and they actually do different runs for Australia the processors that are bringing the dry fruit in or the agents, they actually ask for some high stand, higher standards than just the normal product that they do. And the processing plants over there were telling, telling me that they have to do um, special things for dried fruit to come into Australia. I think it has to be cleaner, it has to be run through the machine twice, that type of stuff. So the consumers are going to are getting the best that they can get apart from Australian dried fruit. With uh, possibly more imports on the cards and, and shortages of Australian dried fruit, is this like how is this likely to affect the consumer? I don't think it will that much, actually. I mean, the whole thing, there's a shortage of worldwide. When I was over there, I was Turkey, there was a um, conference on with all the dried fruit industries there. And usually worldwide, it's about 1.2 million tonne of dried fruit. Dried, this is dried grapes. I've never seen it much, a lot higher than that or much lower. But last year... It wasn't only Australia that had bad years. It was also the big producing countries like Turkey and the US. And there was only 880,000 tonne of dried fruit produced last year. So from that point of view, there's a shortage worldwide now. So this scarcity, so it's not driving up prices though? Um, for for farmers has, or consumers? It has overseas. The farmers overseas have got higher prices. The prices haven't been released in Australia for this year. It'll be interesting to see how they are. I can't see them going backwards. Hopefully they go forward a bit. But, yeah, just simple economics 101, supply and demand, and, you know, it just depends on how much is there. And at the moment, there's not a lot out there on the marketplace. Australia seems to have, yeah, quite a big appetite for uh, dried fruit that doesn't seem to be slowing down. In fact, I've heard from people there's been a bit of a resurgence from home cooks to cheese platters. But, yeah, why do you think the demand for dried fruit, yeah, seems to be growing? And I've been hearing more, more farmers being encouraged to supply. Well, first off, I mean, it has got all the health benefits with it. Um, it's got more antioxidants and um, cranberries and many other ones. I mean, it's been around for a long time. It doesn't go off and it's, it's a good quality. I mean, we all grew up eating little packets of sunbeam fruit. <laughs> I don't think it did any of us any harm. If anything, it was a great, great thing, better than a, a um, chocolate bar or something like that. But no, there has been a resurgence on it and there has been more going in the ground. On a normal year, we should be able to get back up around the 20,000 tonnes. It's just that these last two years have been bad and this one here doesn't at the moment. Unless the weather clears up, it doesn't appear to be a, going to be a better year. And uh, for those who might not know, um, yeah, when, when is um, uh, grapes for, for dried fruit uh, expected to be harvested and when's that sort of key production period? 
It's February and March. I mean, people will start cutting some of the new varieties. I know we'll be cutting some of them. So you cut them and then it takes about three or four weeks to dry. So we'll be cutting them, the early varieties, towards in the end of January, maybe next week. And then we'll keep cutting until we finish, which will finish by the end of February. By then, we'll be already harvesting the early stuff and all going well and not running. You should nearly have it all off the vines and in the bins by the end of March. That was Dried Fruits Australia Chair Mark King speaking with Eliza Balage. The Victorian Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria. Well, after another heavy rainfall event across the state, farmers in the northwest are welcoming that forecast be heard earlier of drier weather. On Monday in Murrabit on the New South Wales border, there have been reports that some properties were hit with more than 100 millimetres in just a matter of minutes. Dairy farmer Andrew Lay says he's constantly needing to clean up his property and pump water off his paddocks. We've had, you know, we had a 50 millimetre downpour in, in um, 15 minutes, 20 minutes um, yesterday, and then we've had another 25 mil today, which has um, got water lying everywhere. Um, not good for some summer crops. So what are the effects currently on your farm? Paint us a picture. Yeah, so it seems to be every every week we see, we see a sheet of water everywhere. Um, every morning we wake up, um, so we just look working, trying to um, drain the water away. That's our plans once a week to try and get rid of some water off our farms. Um, we're on we're on irrigation, obviously northern Victoria, and we don't have we haven't had to do that for a while because the rains have been um, doing it for us. So has it had any negative effects on your operations? Oh yeah, there's a huge effect on um it's created a lot of mud our tracks are muddy from for our cows to um go into our dairy and and um, even our machinery to feed cows and things like that. It's created a lot more workload. Um, the other one is that probably our, our dry feed that was that was left over from the springs um, it's probably been damaged from it too. So, you know, we've had to hand feed cows and young stock again, which we didn't expect to. Do you have any animal welfare concerns at the moment? Because obviously with wet, wet weather that can create some challenges. Oh, obviously um, in a dairy herb looking for um, the, 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 um, the quality of milk that we're sending. So, you know, yeah, the sort of things with mud on cows' teats and, um, and, and especially the other ones, probably foot, foot, foot ulcers and things like that from the weather that our cows probably aren't used to in northern Victoria this time of year. What are farmers in the area that you're talking to day-to-day? How are they coping with this? Oh, look, we've just, um, just got to go, go with the punches, I suppose. We, we just keep, keep working. Um, you know, it's usually a bit of a slack time this time of year for us. Just, but you know, we just gear up and we just do what we have to do. It's... Um, it's a bit like being in the winter, but in the summer. Well, I had a look at the forecasts, and the northwest of the state is forecast at least to be a bit hotter and drier over the next few days. I dare say that's welcome. Oh, very much. It'll dry some tracks out and things like that, yeah. The Bureau of Meteorology did have the El Nino predicted over the spring period. Do you think that farmers were prepared for this weather? Traditionally, no, we would not have been prepared, even, if, even what the forecast was. There's no way we're prepared for this because, you know, it's just unforeseen. Um, yeah, yeah, we've had, like, you know, two-inch two rainfalls before, but not something like this. We've had over 250 millimetres since Christmas. So, yeah, that's just unheard of. So you've never seen this much rain in that period before? Not at this time of year, no. And what's it doing with irrigations and river flows? Are things overflowing in your area? Oh, the rivers are starting to rise now. That, um, I'm in between the Murray River and the Lytton River. And of course, that you know we've been impacted by floods in 2022, 
So yeah, we, we yeah you know, people get a bit worried, and there's um, people who live who have been impacted before by the flood. So yeah, everyone's getting prepared. Uh, uh, give me the angst about that and try and be prepared for that. Do you think if this weather continues over the rest of summer where you've got these sort of a couple of days of dry weather then you just get smashed again with rain, do you think there's going to be a lot of people that are sort of reconsidering the way that they farm? Oh, look, I, I, I think, well, farms are pretty resilient and, and we'll just um, take it as a one-off year type thing and you know, move on to the next year. And you know, I think... Um, what we've had, what's happened over the last ten years is two major floods in our area, and and this, you know, I think we we can cope reasonably well with it, but we just, yeah, um, I don't think we'll change too much. So Andrew, you've also just um, sticking with water. You've just walked out of a meeting uh, about the Murray Darling Basin plan. What can you tell us about what's happened this afternoon? Um, so we've just had a, a local forum um, with the minister in in Shepparton that um, she, she's asking what the community questions are that we need to be putting. To her and what what they want, what she wants us to do, or to, to explain to, to the federal minister what they want with the buybacks, with water buybacks and things like that. Um, we see that um, supporting the minister with no with no water buybacks out of Victoria and, and things like that. So we're still with the legislation going through. We're still continuing the fight there. That you know we see the harm that happens to to um, local local areas and and. Just telling the Victorian Minister Harry Ching that you know that's that's where we see, so we'll keep supporting her on that. Do you think that the federal government will back down to Victoria's demands because they've been pretty strong on this? Oh no! Look, I can see um, I can see they'll hold pretty hard. That was one of their um, one of their um, pledges they made when they come into Parliament. That's what they were going to do. But um, I think we've got some things. I think the Victorian government's got some things in place to to help mitigate the, the, the problems that will come with buybacks. We understand there will be something happen, but, but the, to try and mitigate um, to, a, to a less impact on the, in, on the people in the areas would be a help. That was Andrew Lay, a Murrabit dairy farmer and Victorian Farmers Federation Water Group chairman speaking with Jane McNaughton, both about just how wet it's been at his place, like I know it is for many of you out there and also... That interesting discussion on the prospect of water buybacks in Victoria with that continuing uh, difference of opinion between the, the state and federal Labor governments. If you're quick, get in touch on the text line 0467 842 722. Off to markets now, starting at Bairnsdale Cattle with Brendan Fletcher. G'day, Angus. Numbers decreased to 480. That's 130 fewer than December the 14th, with a larger field of buyers operating in a dearer market. Quality was limited with a handful of prime cattle and a large proportion of cows. Trade cattle were in short supply. Grown lots improved 35 to 75 cents for most. Cows sold 50 to 60 cents dearer with processors loading cows for an estimated 481 to 509 cents a kilogram. Carcass weight. Heavy bulls gained 20 cents. A handful of veal has reached 282. It held little quality. A few yearling trade steers made 286. Heifers suited to the trade 250 to 255. Grown steers and bullocks 265 to 290. Heavy Friesian steers 218 to 260. Crossbreds 256 to 269. Most light and medium weight cows, 170 to 232. Heavyweights, 200 to 265. Heavy bulls, 206 to 260. This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA.
Thanks, Brendan. Let's head to Wagga Lambs now with Leanne Dax. Good afternoon. After the strong sale of the previous week, lamb prices faced a decline spanning from $12 to $35, notwithstanding a substantial decrease of 20,000 lambs. Heavy lambs across all weight categories bore the brunt of this downturn, although competition for heavy lambs remained robust, but buyers were cautious about exceeding 700 cents a kilogram carcass weight. Within the 26 to 30 kilo range, heavy lambs were sold at prices of 175 to 215, while those over 30 kilos commanded prices between 206 and 260. The overall trajectory of the trade land market signalled a reduction of 10 to 15 dollars with specific demand observed for neatly shorn trade lambs. Trade lambs varied from 130 to 174, averaging 703 cents a kilogram carcass weight. The heavier trade weights intended for feeding experienced a dip of 13 dollars while other trade weights remained steady. The bulk of the sale was $90 to 150 for those to feed on or return to the paddock. Merino trade lamb sold at 139 to 175 I'm Leanne Ducks for MLA. Thanks, Leanne. And today we will bring you a, a report from the Mortlake store sale with Shiona Lamb. Good afternoon. Mortlake fortnightly store sale yarded 4,200 cattle. Quality was mostly excellent. A large buying gallery attended from all over Victoria, southern New South Wales and South Australia and operated in a stronger market to a fortnight ago. The market opened on the oldest steers selling 20 to 30 deer. Yearling weaner steers sold to 50 deer in places. Angus weaner steers made from 3.22 to 3.88 cents and black baldies from 3.16 to 3.56 cents to average $1,100 to $1,350 a head. Older Angus yearling steers made 2.75 to 3.56 to average $1,050 to $1,600 a head. Hereford steers made to 3.24 cents and other breeds sold 2.40 to 3.26 cents a kilo. Agents are still selling steers and heifers yet to be sold. This is Shiana Lamb at Mortlake for MLA. Thanks, Shiona. Almost out of time for the Country Hour. Someone on the text line asking what has happened to the Bureau weather report on the Country Hour. Still happening just at the start of the show. So it, with, with these short shows, it's at the same time, but the start of, start of the show just because of the cricket. Be the same tomorrow, probably. Thanks for listening today. Remember the website, abc.net.au slash rural. Five past one, back to the cricket.